Welcome to the Western Bell podcast series with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of the series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted twice each month. The content of the talks is for informational purposes only and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled, Escape from the General Law. The talk was given by Red Hawk on September 17, 2022, via Zoom. Red Hawk is an acclaimed poet and the author of 12 books, including Self-Observation, Self-Remembering, The Way of the Wise Woman, and Return to the Mother. He begins the presentation by invoking the spiritual help of a chamber through the names of Yogi Ramsarat Kumar and Lee Loswick, masters who have been an influence in his life. Red Hawk discusses the application of teachings of the mystic George Gurdjieff and reads from writings of Madame Ospensky and Maurice Nicole, who are students of Gurdjieff, as well as from writings of the teacher, Mr. E.J. Gold. There is an interruption by a guest about eight minutes into the talk, which is an object lesson in the potential for using coarse energy that we experience in the world for our work. About halfway through the talk, Red Hawk offers experiential exercises to develop presence and attention. Feel free to pause the podcast if you would like to spend some time working with them. And if there is benefit in this talk for you, please consider sharing the link to it or writing a review on social media or on one of the podcast platforms. Red Hawk. So we begin with sacred ceremony by invocation of one of the names of God. It's a lawful invocational ceremony. Yogi Ram Surat Kumar, Yogi Ram Surat Kumar, Yogi Ram Surat Kumar, Jaya Guru Raya. Jay Shri Kepali, Yogi Ram Surat Kumar, Guru Maharaj, Yogi Ram Surat Kumar. Jay Shri Kepali, Yogi Ram Surat Kumar, Guru Maharaj, Yogi Ram Surat Kumar. What this does is to establish what's called in the work a chamber. It's a sacred, conscious, divine, invocational chamber, according to law. The law that governs this particular ceremony is one that the good master Jesus taught. He taught where two or more are gathered in my name, there will I be also. And what this means is that by invoking the names of Yogi Ram Surat Kumar and Mr. Lee, they are bound by law to respond, to enter into this space, this chamber in which we are all a part now, a safe place, a place where help is available. And they must respond, and so they enter for two reasons. One is to offer help, and the second is to feed because this chamber offers them a very rich food, which is a conscious food by which they can continue their evolutionary process. And at the same time, the vibratory energy, the finer energy, the refined energy of such a chamber offers us beings also a very highly refined food to assist us in our evolution. So this is a lawful chamber, and I'm going to speak tonight about the law, about different laws, because I'm very interested in the laws which govern human life on this planet. I've been studying them for a long, long time in terms of my own observations of myself, and the laws which govern the energies which I observe. And this is inspired by Mr. Gurdjieff, who in his magnus opus, Beelzebub's Tales to His Grandson, 
enumerated what he called the five being obligonian strivings. The being means us, we who are temporarily embodied in a human biological machinery, which is mammal by its nature. Obligonian refers to obligation. Strivings refers to a urge or an urgency or a wish or an effort. And the first striving is to have in their ordinary being existence everything satisfying and really necessary for their planetary body. In other words, in order to enter into contact with the work, it is necessary for one to have ordered their lives to the point where they can satisfy the need for food, clothing, and shelter. They have that much together. The second striving, to have a constant and unflagging instinctive need for self-perfection in the sense of being. The being that we speak of in the work has two qualities, presence and attention. And so the work gives a fundamental practice in order for the evolution of that being who has two qualities, presence and attention. The first is self-remembering. Self-remembering evokes presence. It evokes the being into the present by means of the body. Self-observation invokes attention. So the practice of presence is self-remembering, self-observation, and it is a single practice with two sides, each of which is meant to help evolve both presence and attention. The third striving, the conscious striving to know ever more and more concerning the laws of world creation and world maintenance. And so it's those laws which I wish to speak with you tonight about. The work teaches that Earth is part of what is called a ray of creation emanating from the source, our creator. And that we are very far down in that ray of creation. And in fact, the work teaches that we occupy a very difficult place in the creation. Earth is very far out on the edge of our galaxy, very far from the center, from the source. And we are in a very small system with a small to medium-sized star. And the work teaches that we are governed in this particular place by 48 sets of laws. That number of laws makes choice almost impossible. It means that almost everything we do, think, say, is done mechanically and automatically and is rigidly governed by laws. The idea of free choice is almost non-existent. We are a part of organic life. And organic life has a central mechanical function I'm quoting from Mr. E.J. Gold now. The fundamental purpose for the existence of men and the other three-brained beings of the universe is to serve as apparatuses through which cosmic substances are transmuted for the purpose of reciprocal maintenance. Organic life, including human beings, was allowed to form on the earth for the specific purpose of sending emanations to feed the moon, unquote. So I'm going to break that quote down a little and see if we can arrive at some perhaps deeper understanding. The fundamental purpose is to serve as apparatuses. This is machines, mechanical devices. We are created to serve as mechanical devices through which cosmic substances, and what are those substances? Those substances are energy. And those substances come into us as coarse energy, low vibratory energy. 
the lower the vibration, the more apparent solidity, dense. We need to make it out of the matrix, man. They're telling us to stay inside again. I told you the pandemic was going to come back. And now they're talking about fucking, what the hell is going on? There's a spiritual warfare. And the way to make it out is internet money. All the millionaires that I've been chilling with, all of them just make money on their phone. doing. Wow. Thank you, Yogi Ram Kumar. That's a good example, I think, of coarse energy being transmuted and emanated. So I thank you very much, my friend, for that. It's a good example of what I'm speaking of. These cosmic substances, which are energy, are transmuted, that means transformed, for the purpose of reciprocal maintenance, and reciprocal maintenance is a law. On the mechanical level, this earth is governed by mechanical law, and the law of reciprocal maintenance is a mechanical law. It means that I feed and am fed. I eat and am eaten. So I want to just take a minute and be quiet and allow the shock of that to pass through us and breathe and relax the body and receive that energy and not react to sense the body to keep attention with sensation and breath to be still Yogi Ram Surat Kumar so that kind of negative energy that kind of anger we are being bombarded with from all sides, constantly, everywhere we turn. And it's part of the general law, which I want to speak of with you. I want to speak about death and the law. And I want to speak about two kinds of death, mechanical death and conscious death. The general law, which I speak of, is concerned with mechanical death of organic apparatuses, which are being bombarded with cosmic substances constantly. And on the mechanical level, these mechanically driven humans react, and they react with negative emotions. And these negative emotions are vacuumed up by great nature, the great predator, and consumed and transmuted and used as food to achieve the mechanical equilibrium of the earth and the moon. And these negative emotions the work teaches us are used by the earth, transmuted and sent to the moon to help the moon evolve and grow as the green growing tip of the ray of creation. So in speaking of death, this is not a popular subject, and many people will react to it as being negative, boring, morbid, frightening, depressing, pointless, all of which serve as buffers in order to prevent me from seeing the truth and the reality of my position on this planet. The difference between a mechanical death and a conscious death relies exclusively on the nature, on the quality, on the stability of attention. The earth tells us that these 48 laws which govern us, the general law, governs the death of mechanical beings. And it's said that 99% of all humans on this planet are mechanical beings not conscious, maybe more than 99%. A very small number of people struggle to lead a more conscious life. The nature of the general law is this. All beings feed on those levels 
below them and are fed upon by those above them in scale. It teaches us that nature needs certain kinds of energies in order to mechanically maintain the equilibrium of the system. That is the general balance of the system. The earth is tremendously out of balance, out of harmony. And therefore, there's a great need from the earth for energies to restore the equilibrium, the balance of energy. The greater the need, the more pressure is put on organic life to produce mechanical energy. The planets in the system cooperate and send energy to the Earth, planetary forces. We are organic planetary beings. The body is a planetary body. So it feels those pressures. We are in a moment now of tremendous pressure being put on the Earth to produce mechanical energy in order to retain, restore, and provide for equilibrium. Mechanical beings receive this pressure, this energy, and respond with negative emotion, violence, emotional violence, mental violence, psychological violence, physical violence everywhere on the planet. In our country, there's tremendous division people angry and violent. There's the war in Ukraine. And I've heard this number. I don't know if it's true. I've heard that right now on the planet, there are 47 different war conflicts in progress. What is significant about the general law is that one level of beings works to feed another level of beings. Cattle, for example, eat grass. They process that grass into muscle tissue. And people eat the muscle tissue. People process cattle into energy. But the earth also has a need for conscious evolution. And the moon as well. The earth teaches us that in order for the earth to get the conscious energy it needs, that is the finer refined energy, conscious labor by humans is required. When that need isn't met, the Earth vacuums up the refined energy it requires at the death of organic beings. Billions upon billions of people die on this planet, and they die mechanical deaths. And their finer energy, which is attention, is sucked out of them, captured and consumed by the great predator, which is nature. Great nature is a predator. We don't pay attention to the fact that everything eats everything else, and we think that it stops with us. Animals eat plants. Other animals eat other animals. And there's this great digestive process going on on a great scale that's beyond our ability to comprehend because we are buffered to not see it. The animals that we slaughter in order to consume their energy, which is basically sun energy through plants transformed by animals, eaten by us. We don't see or take part in that slaughter. We buy packaged muscle tissue and cellophane and tin cans. And so we are very removed from the fact that everywhere in nature, there is this slaughter going on. This is a quote now from G.W. Goodwin. Quote, the proof is that everywhere else in nature, there is this pattern of ever increasingly powerful and ferocious predators ripping the living hides off terrified, peaceful grazers, brutally opening them and dining on their naked blood and organs. We do that to animals. And yet we are so removed from the process that we don't see it. We don't participate in it and we don't want to look at it. And we forget that if we eat, so too something must eat us. Nature doesn't care if I live or die. Nature doesn't care a thing about me except as a food source, as a source of energy. 
And either that mechanical energy is given through negativity or by conscious labor and intentional suffering, I am participating in the law of reciprocal maintenance and I am radiating a more conscious, refined, and finer energy, which then feeds the being and helps my evolution. It helps the evolution of the earth and the moon. And it goes all the way up the ray of creation back to our creator and helps maintain the creation. But we are buffered in such a way that we do not see this mechanical slaughter. And the question is then, what can I do to avoid a mechanical death and die more consciously? How can I refine my attention in such a way that I don't die as Mr. Gold has described in his book, The Great Adventure? He's talking about the futility of ordinary existence, that is, life without the work. And he's suggesting this outrageous idea that life without the work is futile. We are given many illusions which buffer us from that fact. He goes on to say, quote, death can be of great benefit if it serves to remind you that all the things you so hungrily grasp for will eventually lead to a twin-sized bed with a breathing tube up your nose and an IV in your arm, unquote. This is not an attractive subject that I'm speaking of. This is reality. We wind up in a kind of mindless, mechanical death process. And yet, we are held out the promise that there is a way out of this trap. There's a way out of being a victim. Nothing exempt from the general law. Nothing is exempt from mechanical death, unconscious death, except those whose attention has been refined to the point where it is stable. So stable that at the point of death, attention is not distracted by the death process. Attention is not taken by distractions. And attention is not sucked from the corpse, consumed and radiated to the earth and the moon and back up the scale to maintain the mechanical level of creation. Conscious evolution is possible. I think this is what Mr. Gurdjieff was speaking of when he talked about the terror of the situation. I think this idea that nature vacuums out of the body the soul matter, the refined vibratory electrical energy of attention, consumes it, digests it, metabolizes it, radiates it, and that we are stripped of our attention. Meaning the soul begins its next incarnation or recurrence at point zero. This energy consumed by the earth is emotions, emotional energy generated by impressions. The general law is not comforting. And yet there is an unmistakable pattern in nature. In order for mankind to live, animals must suffer and die, must be dismembered and ingested. And we don't ever wonder about our position in this overall scheme. If one thing eats another, and that's the order of nature, what eats us? Well, it must be something bigger, stronger, more intelligent, more powerful. And it is great nature, the predator. We work in order to serve those beings higher than us in scale. And also in order to survive death by the development of a conscious soul. We work at great risk and without any assurance that we can be successful. We work because of conscience. Think about this, 
many of you have seen a dead human. You've seen the corpse. All the light gone out of the eyes, all the warmth gone out of the body. Consider that the moment you withdraw from this body, the light is withdrawn and the heat is withdrawn. And consider that you yourself are the source of all light and heat in the body. You are the source of light and heat. In other words, your properties as a being are the same as those of our sun. You radiate light and heat. And that's what gives the body life. That quality of fine energy is what can evolve as attention. And it is the evolution of attention that we work for. The greater the quality of attention, the more possible it is that a human being can avoid being caught by the general law that rules over all men and women. The greater the quality of attention, the more stable the attention, the more possible it is to escape the general law. I want to read something from Mr. Gurdjieff. Quote, if a man could understand all the horror of the lives of ordinary people who are turning round in a circle of insignificant interests and insignificant aims, if he could understand what they are losing, he would understand that there can only be one thing that is serious for him, to escape from the general law, to be free. What can be serious for a man in prison who is condemned to death? Only one thing, how to save himself, how to escape. Nothing else is serious, unquote. And then I read again this quote from Mr. Gurdjieff. The fundamental purpose for the existence of men and the other three brain beings of the universe is to serve as apparatuses through which cosmic substances are transmuted for the purpose of reciprocal maintenance. Organic life, including human beings, was allowed to form on the earth for the specific purpose of sending emanations to feed the moon. So I serve either by mechanical transformation of crude energy or by conscious labor and intentional suffering, which creates a finer substance. It is how attention evolves. The evolution of attention is why we've come here, to become conscious beings and to use death as a means to remember why I'm here and what I'm meant to be doing. Death is what the work calls a reminding factor. So in order to escape the general law, I have to remember to be present, to bring attention to the present moment, to embody attention in sensation and breath. And I have to do this constantly because I forget constantly and am taken by mechanical forces, distractions. Everywhere there are distractions, buffers, so that I don't see this astonishing statement Mr. Gurdjieff makes. Ordinary people are turning around in a circle of insignificant interest and insignificant aims. We do not want to admit or own or look at or take responsibility for the fact that the majority of humans on this planet are leading insignificant lives and die insignificant mechanical deaths in order to satisfy the needs of great nature. For most people, that statement is utterly unthinkable and unacceptable. Negative, morbid, frightening, depressing, and pointless. That is, in fact, what the general law does to human beings. To escape the 48 laws, which give us almost no free will whatsoever, free will is an illusion under 48 laws. The work says that by remembering myself and observing myself, I can escape from 48 laws to a higher level where 24 laws govern. I am freer to choose. So the practice of presence is self-remembering and self-observation. If you're willing and you wish to work now, 
I'd like to go into that practice, the practice of self-remembering, because it is one of the principal ways that a human can escape from the general law, is by remembering herself. So when we work to remember ourselves, whenever I remember myself, I begin at zero. I'm going to leave it to each one of you to try to understand for yourself what that means to begin at zero. Every time I remember myself, I begin at zero. A beginner. Knowing nothing. Starting all over again. So perhaps you wish to work. And if you wish to work, I would like you to stand now wherever you are. Stand, if you wish. Both feet on the ground. And what we work to do is to bring the body to life. So with both feet on the ground, the first thing to awaken the body and bring it to life is an erect posture. This simple act of straightening up the spine, bringing the head and the neck in alignment with the shoulders and the spine, being upright, straight up and down, if you can, is a conscious act. Zen Buddhism calls this act the awakened form. Erect posture is awakening. We live a mechanical life, and in that life, we do not stand erect. We have a very limited range of postures, slumps, stoops, shoulders in one way, head, neck, back, feet. And these postures promote mechanical unconscious thoughts, mechanical unconscious emotional reactions, a life of mechanical sleep. To stand upright is an act of self-worth. The very act of conscious erect posture is self-worth. It doesn't create self-worth. It is self-worth. So right now, each of the beings who is participating in this particular movement is self-worth. No matter what your personal history, no matter what your emotions say, no matter what your mind is telling you, this is what self-worth feels like. This is a sensation of self-worth. Honorable. This posture has integrity. This posture honors the being's wish to be conscious and serve our creator. To not die a mechanical death, but to live a conscious life because every moment we are practicing for our death. This is life in death and death in life. As we live, so we will die. As I work to bring attention to the present, that conscious struggle moment to moment, breath to breath, is the only thing that can save me at the moment of the death of the body. That and the name of Yogi Ram Surat Kumar, or whatever the name of God you choose, I am one of the names of God. Jesus Christ, Krishna, Buddha, Mahavira, Mahananda Mahima, Mayor Baba, all these names of God. Remembering the name of God brings me to the present and brings help. Invocational law, the law of invocation. So the moment I utter that name, Yogi Ram Saraktamar, an erect posture, I am now, for the moment, escaping from the law of accident and from the general law. I am now under 24 orders of laws instead of 48. In other words, I am capable of some level of conscious choice. So what is that conscious choice? Well, the next step, conscious placement of attention down lower in the body at the abdomen, the hara, the navel, the solar plexus, the heart center. A conscious choice. Under 48 orders of laws, humans don't make that choice. Their attention is taken by every single distraction. In fact, most humans live a life of total distraction, morning till night, one year after another, birth to death. 
We're distracted by every thought, every emotional upheaval, every reaction, all identification, all imagination. The me that we believe ourselves to be, the thing that calls itself me, the ego, false personality, is composed of nothing but identification and imagination. They are the great buffers that keep me in the victim position so that I die victim to the general law. Identification and imagination. With both feet on the floor, erect posture, conscious placement of attention down low in the body. So you are attention, I am attention. Attention has a will. It may not be strong for a long time. That will won't be strong. That's why we work. That's why we practice. So that that will grows and attention becomes stronger and more stable. But it can move around even now in a state of very low mechanical habitual life. For example, if you wish, raise your right arm just slightly in front of you and clench your fist and clench the whole right arm shoulder to fist. This is sensation. Now lower the arm and relax it. This is also sensation. It's a finer energy. When it's tensed, it was coarser energy. Relaxed, it's finer energy. Now with the right foot on the floor still, clench the right foot and split your attention so that most of your attention is keeping every other part of the body relaxed and just the right foot is tensed and clenched. This is sensation. Sense both the relaxation of the rest of the body, if you can, and the tension sensation in the right foot. Now relax the right foot. This is sensation. This is a finer sensation. This is a more refined energy. Relaxed body. Now, standing erect posture. Conscious placement of attention embodied in the body. Quench the buttocks and keep everything else relaxed, if you can. Just the buttocks clenched and everything else relaxed. So divide the attention two places at once. Now relax the buttocks. This is sensation. Now with both feet on the floor, clench the left leg from foot to hip. Keep everything else relaxed and just keep the left leg tense. This is sensation, coarse energy. Now relax the left leg. And you see that this shows that attention, which is who you are, you can move throughout the body and place yourself anywhere in the body that you wish. It doesn't always have to be trapped in the mind. So the third step in self-remembering is to sense the breath. The breath is a precious ally in escaping from the general law. Because the breath is always present, and escape from the general law means attention locked onto the present. The human biological instrument, the body, this mammal body, serves as an objective feedback mechanism to help orient me, attention, in the present. Breath is an ever-present phenomenon. It's never past tense. It's never future tense. Breath is always and only present. So when all else fails me in order to get to the present, when I'm taken by thought or emotion or tension, in order to return, in order to re-enliven the body, in order to awaken, if I find the breath and attention is in the breath, I am. So breath has three parts. And this process I'm going through with you now, if the mind says, well, I've done this a thousand times, this is old news, that's what keeps me trapped right there. This is boring. Can't we get onto something that will help me? This is what keeps me a victim, is believing in that thought. How can I make this brand new? How can I bring this process right now to life? How can I bring all of me to life and not believe in the lies of the mind or the emotions? 
but believe in the direct experience of the body. The breath has three parts, we're taught. In school, we're taught it only has two parts, inhalation, exhalation. The third part of breath is radiation. And that part, only people in school work, in work groups who study the body, are aware of the third part of breath, which is radiation. With attention lower down in the body, embodied in sensation and breath, if I breathe consciously and let the breath go all the way down the center line to the tip of the spine, if that whole center channel is filled, not just the lungs, but down to the abdomen, full breath. When I exhale consciously, it allows the body to extract from the air its finest level of energy, which some ancient schools call prana. The body can extract from the air prana when the breath is conscious, intentional, focused, deliberate, but not controlled, allowed to be full. There is a radiation of this prana to all the cells of the body, and it can be sensed as a very fine, delicate, refined sensation of refined energy. Inhalation, exhalation, radiation to the whole body and out of the body as a finer energy to feed the earth in its conscious evolution, the moon in its conscious evolution, going all the way up the ray of creation to the creator and to help maintain the creation, law of reciprocal maintenance. I consume energy, air, one of the three foods, and it's transformed by the body because I'm present as attention. And I feed, the being is fed, the earth is fed, the moon is fed, the creator is fed, and the creation is fed. Reciprocal means there is a conscious exchange, a willing, intentional exchange, reciprocal maintenance. Breathe in, breathe out, and radiate. Now with attention at the solar plexus, just bring the attention to the solar plexus, keep the erect posture. On the inhalation, say to yourself, I. On the exhalation, say, am, and let the am radiate throughout the entire body and feel it radiating out of the body into the field of electrical vibratory energy in which we are a point, a conscious point. I, inhalation, am radiating throughout the entire body and feel that radiation, sense that finer energy feeding the cells and sense the cells re receiving it. Stay with that for a moment now, just silently. I, as a solar plexus, am radiating. Stay with that. Now, with your right hand placed on the heart center and the left hand on the belly, I breathe in the suffering of all of organic life. The earth suffers tremendously. Animals suffer, are being slaughtered by the billions. Humans are being slaughtered. Breathe out love and goodness and peace and harmony. I am. Now say to yourself, I wish to work. I wish to serve. I wish to be. Now be seated. Relax the body. Keep the attention low down on the body. Keep it fully embodied in breath and sensation. Sense the whole body. Relax the body. And divide your attention. Keep 75% inside in place, lower down in the body. 
and let 25% of your attention take in the entire 180 degrees of your surroundings, all the periphery, unfocused, not focusing on any particular thing, but taking in all impressions equally without choosing. In order for there to be an escape from identification and imagination, I have to remember myself. Only then can I observe myself truthfully. How do I remember myself? It means that I have to find a reminding factor. The work calls it a reminding factor. Something so potent and so continuously, habitually arising in me that can be transformed from a negative, something that tortures me, into something that is a tremendously valuable ally. It might be a memory of early childhood that arises in you constantly and has tortured you, and you sought to escape it, to put it down, to get rid of it, to change it, when in fact it can become one of the most important things that you have to escape the general law. I'm quoting Mr. Gold again. Quote, if something periodically self-arising in the machine were truly habitual, we must not say that we would not do it again, that a habit would only entrench itself more firmly if we tried to disallow it, but it could serve as a powerful sensing centrum remembering factor to help us remember, to invoke the presence of our presence into the present. In this sense, as a remembering device, which works because it contains definite, noticeable sensations, usually sensations of some form of remorse. Our habits, and even our complete lack of authority over the organic machine, become invocational tools for the evolution of our being, unquote. We have to find a reminding factor. And it can be external as well. Let's say there's a person you are in continuous contact with every day or very often, and they trigger in you a reactive negative response. And so you seek to avoid their company or you suffer in their company. Well, that person can now become one of your most precious allies so that the moment you see them, you're grateful because they help you to remember erect posture, conscious placement of attention down low in the body. Sense the breath, sense the whole body, relax the body, divide the attention. Part inside to keep attention in place so that it doesn't get distracted, and the other portion outside on the person actually listening, taking them in, noticing them without the judgment that usually goes with it. You are present, and they will sense that, even if they don't understand it, even if they don't recognize it, there will be a sensation that's different in that space. Reminding factor. I have three emotional reminding factors from my past that used to torture me. Every time they would arise, and they would arise all the time, daily. Now, whenever they arise, I say thank you. I repeat the name of Yogi Ramsarat Kumar, and I go right to my practice. The other thing that I do, and I owe a debt to Maurice Nicole for this. He taught me this, and that is placing a portion of attention at the top of the head, at the crown chakra, so that incoming impressions are received at that point and then distributed throughout the body, and we react mechanically or intellectually to those impressions. When there's a conscious presence at the top of the head, that short circuits the reactive mechanism. It allows the energy to come in undefended, uninterrupted. It allows the body to take that energy and transform it into a finer energy, which feeds the being, feeds the earth, feeds the moon, feeds our creator, law of reciprocal maintenance. I'm going to quote now from Mr. Nicole. This is from a Psychological Commentaries, Volume 2. Quote, remember that the work teaches that our impressions come in through the intellectual center and then pass to the other centers. It is necessary to make a conscious point at the place where they come in. The point of the work is to make a conscious point at the place 
of incoming impressions. And this demands the power of observation so that one is separated from the continual effect of life coming in and reacting always in the same mechanical way. One has to be able to see the impression at the same time to see one's mechanical reaction. The work is meant to intervene between these two things. Third force. This is called, and I'm continuing now, this is called moving hydrogen 12 to the point of incoming impressions, unquote. Now, I want to talk about that for a minute. What he means by hydrogen 12, to put it in layman terms, that means a very fine, refined energy, the energy of attention. This is called bringing a very refined attention to the point of incoming impressions. A very fine, refined attention, hydrogen 12. It is only this level of refined energy that coats the second body and creates a place for attention to dwell when the body dies. It is this bringing of hydrogen 12, this very refined energy into the body by not reacting to impressions. That is our salvation and our point of escape from the general law. And now I'm going to read this quote from Madame Ospensky. Quote, to be collected in oneself is essential, but it is necessary to be collected in the right place. This is our difficulty. We collect ourselves in the wrong place and think this is the work. One must be relaxed to be properly collected. One must hold on nowhere. All work is based on watchfulness. The man who works realizes he is a machine and fears his machine. Therefore, he watches. While there is a guardian at the door, and I stop for a moment to say a guardian at the door means a point of conscious attention at the top of the head. While there is a guardian at the door, those who go in and out can be scrutinized. I stop again. Those who go in and out are impressions. I go back to the quote. While there is a guardian at the door, those who go in and out can be scrutinized. Acceptance, rejection. Yes, no, this is the basis of true work. A healthy cell does this work by itself. A man who knows what is profitable will not steal from himself, but saves his energy, knowing that nothing can come without energy, unquote. I end by quoting again from Mr. Gurdjieff. If a man could understand all the horror of the lives of ordinary people, who are turning round in a circle of insignificant interests and insignificant aims, if he could understand what they are losing, he would understand that there can only be one thing that is serious for him, to escape from the general law, to be free. What can be serious for a man in prison who is condemned to death? Only one thing, how to save himself, how to escape, nothing else is serious, unquote. So now, if you wish, I would like to hear what practice or practices do you practice on a daily basis which help your attention to become more centered in the present, more stable as a way of escaping the general law of mechanical death? What are your practices that have helped you, that are helping you? I made a beaded bracelet and it's my mala. I wear it pretty much all the time. And any moment of boredom that I have, I'm repeating the name of Yogi Ram Kumar or doing Ram Nam. And that brings me right back to my body. And it's something I can use at any moment, standing in a grocery line or wherever, whenever my attention wants to go elsewhere, I can use my mala. For myself, I wake up every morning and I do my sitting meditation for five to 20 minutes. It all depends really on what's going on in my life that I can hold that attention in sitting. And I try to remember myself every day. And my observation of this is I'm at work and I'll tell myself that I have to self-remember I go to do something else and I forget. It is so hard to self-remember 
to actually do it. You know what I'm saying? Not just to think you're doing it. And I read a lot of Maurice Nicole myself, and it puts me in states of mind that keeps me in the work. Is there a task you do at work every day that's repetitious? I feel my whole job is mechanical. I'm a drywall finisher, and people call it an art, but it's become so mechanical that I don't even think about it. I just do it. That's the mechanicalness of my job. I'm wondering if you can turn that act into an art. I'm wondering if you can see your drywall construction as an art and you are an artist and a very conscious, evolved, enlightened practitioner of that art so that every stroke becomes a source of remembrance for you. I'll try. I have a question. Sure. So imagination, mechanicalness, are coarse energies. And so in place and attention, wouldn't that be a finer energy? The more we create a higher level of attention, our energies get finer. And so do they feed the absolute or do they both go towards the moon? I can only speak theoretically because I don't have the direct experience of this, but this is what I've learned from my reading, what I understand is this. Coarse energy coming from me in the form of negativity helps maintain the mechanical level of life, the moon, the earth, etc., and the creation on the mechanical level. But on the evolutionary level, it requires conscious energy, which is energy which I receive from impressions and don't interfere with, and the body transforms. So that's a finer energy, and that goes to feed the evolutionary level of creation, which is conscious. So it's different energies emanating from this body. One is mechanical energy and is coarse. Another is finer energy and is conscious. They feed different levels of the creation, including me. The being can only evolve from a very fine conscious energy. And that much I have seen for myself. I understand. God bless you. God bless you. Yogi Ramstrad Kumar. Recently, as I was exploring in my body, it seemed further down, further even than Hara, was a pool, like a dark pool of water. It was like sacred there. I have to become very still to even remember it. It's like a beautiful place of being, and it seems to feed presence for me. What a wonderful thing to explore. I will say that that's sex energy in the genitals. It's the creative energy of the universe. It's the most potent of all the energies in the body, and it can be used to raise the level of being very high if I can not interfere, but simply allow it to arise in me. I also feel that genital sexual energy, and it's very strong and can be refined to a very high level. Hydrogen 12, for example, very good. Yogi Ram Surat Kumar. When there is silence, don't lose your place. Allow the intention to be embodied in breath and sensation. This is a chamber. It's emanating energy. I, I thank you for that work. I feel in a very centered light space. As I was going through that and taking in the pain into my heart, into my belly, and then breathing out love through my heart, light. I felt myself transforming the pains in my life, the pains in the world, into a very loving and peaceful place. Thank you. I do that every day, too, when I arise in the morning. There's a morning prayer that Mr. Lee gave that I use, and that's what I do. I take in the suffering of the world and the suffering of my family, my whole lineage going all the way back. In this way, we can heal the past as well as change the future. And so this is wonderful. Thank you so much. God bless you. Yogi Ram Sharad Kumar.
I am. I think the practice that uh, helps me day to day, the practice of walking through a door and remembering yourself is one that I try to use, but mostly has reminded me how much I don't remember myself. I'll start working in my little study and then I'll do it probably once and then I'll remember how much I've forgotten to do it. It's helpful practice. It's small things like that. Can I establish a routine which will be a reminder? It's useful. So thank you. God bless you. Yogi Ram Sarat Kumar. I practice a traffic signal task when I'm driving. When I come to the red light, by law, it compels me to stop, but it also compels me to love. And so I turn inward and I see all the traffic that's coming and going. It really helps if I'm able to see the faces. And there's people out there that I know that I may not personally love, but I can always support a society that provides safety, good health, and well-being for all of its people. And so what this experience turns into for me is something that's sacramental. What a wonderful use of the traffic signal. Thank you. This is a really nice device, and every one of us can use it because we're confronted with that almost on a daily basis. So thank you. God bless you. Yogi Ram Sharat Kumar. I wanted to ask you about something you said at the beginning when you were speaking about the laws of 48, and then through the work, my understanding is evolving towards the laws of 24. And I believe what you said was, as that happens, I am freer to choose. Am I correct in that understanding? That's exactly right. For example, I can choose where I place my attention in the body. When I'm mechanical, I don't have that choice. That's a very practical and obvious example, isn't it? Yes. Also, through this work, I'm finding that I get to a place where I have lived most of my life, which is in a victim position. And I get to a point where I'm able to actually do what you're saying, which is to choose a different way of being. And that has become a better choice <laughs> and more delightful. So there's more delight, there's more surprise. And even though I'm working harder, working physically harder right now, I'm enjoying myself more. So it's kind of curious to me and surprising because I really am uplifted by it. So this whole idea of choice, it's not so much a conscious decision as it is more of a momentum almost. I find myself being gravitated towards being uplifting. And then that goes out further to the people that I'm with. When I'm subject to the 24 laws, yes. I have the right to not be negative. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I don't have that choice under 48 laws. Under 24 laws, I have the right to not be negative. Got it. <laughs> God bless you. Thank you, Yogi Ram Sharat Kumar. I'll stay on if there are others who wish to speak. I was just thinking about something that I use. I suffer from a certain amount of social anxiety. When I get somewhere with people, I want to show up. I want to look good or something like that. And even sometimes when I'm performing, actually performing, you know, which I do sometimes, I just tell myself, this is not about me. I start to take in the peripheries of my surroundings and I start to listen more than talk and maybe ask questions and maybe look around. Last night I was at a gathering and there was an outside fire. I just kept getting the wood and bringing it to the fire and kept listening to people. And I just found that somehow or other that actually brings me to a state of remembering myself, I suppose I could say. So what you're saying is looking and listening bring me more to the present and in relationship, yes? Yes. Yeah, actually looking at people and listening more. And yes. by the way, I'm looking forward to your next CD. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Mike, give a website where people can go and purchase your music. Do that real quickly, will you? Okay, it's just 
michaelmenage.com. That's easy. <laughs> Spell menage. M-E-N-A-G-E-R. Thanks, Michael. I recommend his music. It's so lovely. I'm a big fan of his. Thank you. God bless you, Yogi Ramshar. Come on. I had been taking notes when you were talking, and I only got three of the five being of Longian strivings. I only gave three. They're in Beelzebub. Okay. Okay. I'm surrounded by the ocean, and I make an effort to go into the ocean, and it really brings me present. I feel my whole body. It is just a wonderful sensation, and it brings me into presence and love and peace. That's wonderful. I wonder if when you go into the water, can you remember to say the name of Yogi Ram Sharat Kumar out loud and, and give that to the ocean? I would love to, and I will. Because the ocean really, really longs for that. One of the things that I do is anytime I see somebody broken down with a vehicle someplace along the side of the road, I repeat Yogi Ram Sarakumar's name to uh, bless and hurry them on their way. These are really good reminders. I'm grateful for that. Thank you. When we grow food, it will grow for us particularly. Food will resonate with our bodies, so it's like an energetic between the food growing and whoever's growing it. So it's very sweet. Praying over, it creates a finer hydrogen. But what that means is it creates a very much finer energy, and the food has much more nutritional value, I think. I'm so grateful for that reminder. Thank you. God bless you, Yogi Ram Sarat Kumar. I was just thinking that sharing food with the right intention or with love is an even greater offering in terms of its nutritional value. Thank you so much. Lots to learn from and be reminded of. Well, engaging the work doesn't always go smoothly, as we know. And those are opportunities to work. The disruption that happened earlier in the talk. Wasn't that wonderful? There's no accidents. No accidents in the chamber.